0: Okay, we are doing now Tuesday of the portion of the Ha'aloschah. And today's section deals with the time when they offered the Passover sacrifice, when they celebrated Passover in the desert. Now, of course, we know the Jews were in the desert for 40 years. There was only once a year after their entry into the desert, but we would consider the second year of their traveling, the very beginning of the second year that they celebrate the Passover holiday. we're up to chapter nine, verse one. God spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the second year of their exodus for the land of Egypt in the first month. thing. So what this means is, they entered the desert, Passover, a year ago. They've been in the desert for a year. Now it's the second year, we're beginning the second year. It is the first month, Nisan into weeks it. it's going to be Passover. And now God is commanding them to make this Passover, this one and only time in the desert. So Raja has a question, because this is the fourth book of the five books of the Torah, and we know it's explicitly written that the opening chapter of this book is in the second month of this second year, meaning mm-hmm. the month of E.R. Here it's explicitly written, but it's the first month, chapter 9, is the first month of the second year. So why did we begin in chapter 1 with the second month, and then in chapter 9 go back to the first month? So Rashi says, well, from here actually we learn a principle. And the principle is there is no chronological order in Tyra. It doesn't have to follow timeline. Now this is not the first time Rashi has told the Torah. I believe he already said it like six times before. But Rashi says from here we learn it out because... This is the most explicit case we've seen so far. We're literally, both times it's written in the Torah, this is the second month, this is the first month. So it's explicitly written, and this therefore is a source for that general principle that we use throughout our study of Torah. The Torah does not have to be written in a chronological order. That doesn't mean that Torah deliberately, you know, throws chronology on the side. Obviously, in general, if there's no other writing reason, things would be written in the chronological order. But here there was a reason and Rashi says, well, there's the reason here that Torah is choosing to use this exemption and not write in chronological order. And Rashi says because it would seem bad because the fact that they're here explicitly being commanded to keep the Passover highlights that for the other 39 years they didn't. This is the only time they offered the Passover offering. Now this doesn't mean that the Jews didn't want to keep the Passover or refused to keep the Passover. It was literally not commanded to them. So this doesn't seem like they should be crying. Obviously we know there are many far worse literal transgressions of the Jews that are recorded. But the difference is that will be the opening chapter. The opening chapter of something is sort of setting the tone for the entire book. So if we opened up this fourth book of Torah with something that's negative on the Jewish people, it would convey this erroneous impression of of negativity, of sin. Now again, it wasn't because of their negligence. They weren't commanded to do it. But we could say it's still, even though it wasn't their negligence, the fact that, For all of these years in the desert they lost that merit of the commandment that that's negative or one could say well the fact that the Jews were in the desert for another 38 years at this point that's the the disparaging point in other words if they had not sinned with the sin of the spies they would have been in Israel by the next Passover so the fact that God said only this one we're going to do in the desert because the next one will be in Israel. But, oh, because of your sin, you're going to wander for another 38 years. So that is what's highlighting the, the negativity of what was happening with the Jewish people here. So to prevent this focus on them in a negative way as the introduction to our whole learning of this book, we don't say it here until chapter 9. Now, that um, just shows us, I think we can see here, the sensitivity Torah has to be careful in respecting another person's um, dignity. Next verse. The Jewish people shall perform the Passover offering in its proper time. Of course, the question is, why are we focusing on the idea of in its proper time? When, I mean, obviously, we know that it has to be brought on the 14th of the month. So, in its proper time is... Superfluous. Next verse says, on the fourteenth day of the month. So Rashi therefore explains that in its proper time actually is implying to other conditions. This word in its proper time actually applies appears twice. So since it comes up twice, Rashi says each time it's telling us something. So one thing it's telling us is that even on the Sabbath, if the fourteenth of Nisama followed on the Sabbath, we offer the Passover offering then, which is very unusual because the Passover offering is considered a personal offering. In other words, each individual had a personal obligation. It wasn't a communal offering. It wasn't one lamb for the three million Jews. It was per person. Per, per, I mean, Jews gathered together on one lamb, but it was personal. Every Jew had his portion of lamb he was going to eat his Passover Paschal offering from. So we never find any other time where personal offerings are allowed to be offered on the Sabbath. They only offered communal offerings on the Sabbath, the daily communal offerings, the extra communal offerings for the Sabbath. So this was a big exception, and therefore the verse is saying it in its time, meaning it has to be offered on its time. So if it's 14th of Nathan and, and Sabbath, you still have to offer it. Um... The second thing we learn now, because as I said, this word in its time is actually written twice. It's written in verse 2, it's written again in verse 3. So the second time is implying another in its time, even during ritual uncleanliness, which of course is not so clear, especially because we're now going to go on to talk about people that were ritually unclean and couldn't offer the Passover sacrifice. So what we mean by ritual uncleanliness is when the majority of the Jewish people are ritually unclean like, I mean, so to speak, nowadays, when all of us are ritually unclean. If a minority of Jews are ritually unclean, they can't offer it, as we will soon discuss. But if the majority of the Jews are richly unclean, then we do it in its time, the 14th of Nisan, in its time anyway. There are other understandings of this idea of the impurity. Maybe it's that the majority of the Jews are impure, maybe it's that the priests are impure, so they can't offer it, they're impure. No, we're doing it in its time anyway. Maybe the implements they use in the sacrifice are impure. No, in its time, we're doing it anyway. But if a minority Jews are impure, they can't offer it, which which leads to what we're going to soon be discussing. Next verse, three. On the 14th day of this month, in the afternoon, you shall perform it in its proper time. Again, that was the second time we had that phrase, in its proper time. According to all its statutes and according to all its laws, you shall perform it. So according to all its statutes, so... A statute in Hebrew, a chok, means a law that's not understandable to us. A mishpat, which we usually translate as a civil law or a rational law, means a law that is understandable to us. So Rashi here is differentiating what is the chok and what is the mishpat. And he says the statute, the chok, is commandments pertaining to the body. That has to be a lamb. That has to be unblemished. That has to be male. That has to be a year. So these are more like, we don't know why, but this is the laws. The mishpat, the more rational laws, are commandments that connect to the animal, but they're coming from outside the animal. That, that we have seven days to eat the matzah. That we have to remove all leaven, all hummus, before we do the the Passover offering, etc. Now, verse four, Moses spoke to the Jewish people, telling them to perform the Passover offering. So, our question here is, what what do we mean here? Because previously, in the previous book, in VaYikra. We know that Moses taught the Jews all the laws of the holidays. But, Rashi says, now it was timely relevant. Meaning, yes, maybe a few months ago, Moses taught them the laws of what to do in the Passover, sacrifice or offering, but that was a while ago. Now it's relevant that Moses reviewed what were the critical factors, I can't remember. Verse 5, they performed the Passover offering in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, in the afternoon, in the Sinai Desert, according to all that God commanded Moses, so did the Jewish people do. Now, we come to a very interesting incident that happened in this one time in the desert when they offered the Passover offering. And What happened was there was a group of people that were not ritually pure on the 14th of Nissan. And they were like, wait, we don't want to be disqualified. said a very famous phrase, Lama Nigara. Why should we lose out? We, we also want to connect to God. Who are these people? It seems from the verses these are very righteous people, though there are differing opinions in our sages who they were. Um, one explanation is that these were the Jews that were designated to carry the bones of Joseph. So they were in contact with the dead. That's why they were ritually impure and couldn't offer it. Others say they were Elitzafan and Misha'el, who were the two cousins of Aaron's children, who were responsible for removing the corpse, the dead body of Nadav Navihu, which happened on the first day of Nisan by the dedication of the tabernacle. Other people say, looking at another explanation that I'm remembering is, that these were people that had actually found a corpse of someone who had no relatives to bury them, unidentified corpse. And that's considered a one of the highest acts you can do, a complete kindness, because the person's dead and cannot pay you back in any way, but yet you bury this corpse, a, burying a corpse that had no relatives to bury him. So all of these three opinions would imply that these were very worthy people. These are very good people. These weren't people that were just saying, eh we can't be bothered. Obviously they could be bothered because it bothered them, they cared. According to a number, whatever their impurity was, they would have been pure by that evening. So the day of the 14th, they were impure, but the night when the 14th was over, by the 15th evening, they would be pure, which means they'd be able to eat the Passover offering because they'd be pure. But they were impure when it was being offered. So this is their question, which according to some, what they're asking is, can we designate someone else to offer this Paschal offering in our stead? Because now we're impure and we understand we can't offer it. So someone else is going to offer it for us, which you are allowed to do for certain sacrifices and then tonight we will ready to be pure and we'll be able to eat in a state of purity. According to some, that was a the question they were asking. So, reading the verse, there were men who were impure, having a contact with the corpse, and they were not able to perform the Passover offering on that day. They drew near before Moses and before Aaron on that day. So Moses and Aaron are seated together in the study hall, and these men approached them and asked a question. Now, obviously, Rashi said, that doesn't mean that first they asked Moses, and then Moses said he didn't know when they asked Aaron, because obviously if Moses didn't know how in the world would Aaron know? But they were sitting together, and this was their famous statement. These men men said to him, we are pure having a contact with a corpse. Why should we be excluded? They're very famous words in the Hebrew, why should we lose out? Not be able to bring the offering of God in its proper time among the Jewish people. It really bothered them. They wanted to serve God. They didn't want to lose out from serving God. So Rashi says that Moses said, but you can't offer an offering when you're impure. They said, okay, let the blood be sprinkled on us by richly poor, pure priests, and the flesh eaten by those who are pure, which again, to many means, they understand that to mean these people are saying, we will be pure by night, we can eat the flesh. So what did Moses say? Moses said, oh, I do a good idea, let me ask God. Which is an amazing thing for someone to say, wait, I'm gonna ask God. He was so close, and it's such an amazing relationship, a special, special privilege that a human can say, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to turn now and talk to God. And Rashi questioned and said, well, why? This is sort of strange. I mean, obviously if this is a law and this is part of Torah, God knew it in advance. Why wasn't this just taught by God to Moses, to the Jewish people, like every other detail of all the other 612 commandments are taught. Why is this commandment only like so to speak emerging now because of their question? Rashi says because these people gain the merit of having it said through them because God brings about merit through the meritorious. Good things happen through good people and of course the converse is also true. So these people were very meritorious. Why were they meritorious? Because they were insisting they wanted to be part of the sacrifice. It bothered them so much. Another person could have said, okay, hey, listen, I'm impure. I'm impure, actually, for doing something good. Not that I did something bad and made me impure. I, I, I'm a good person. I'm impure for a good reason. And because I was so good that I became impure, I can't offer and share the Passover offering. At this point, they didn't know it was going to be another 38 years. Okay, next year, I'll offer it. You know, I can't do it this year because I'm impure. They were like, no way, we don't want to lose out. We want this relationship with God. So that shows how meritorious they were, which is why they deserved that good things should come through them in here, this whole commandment. Verse 8, Moses said to them, stand and I will listen to what God will instruct for you. Meaning, as Rashi said, Moses is very blessed to be able to say, that's a great idea, let me talk to God about it. Next verse, God spoke to Moses, saying, "These of the Jewish people, saying, Any person who will be impure from a corpse or is on a distant road, whether among yourselves or your descendants, he shall perform the Passover offering for God. So God, in response to their request, said, You know what? I have a commandment in mind. And it's the commandment that we call the second Passover. And every year to this day, we still celebrate, mark this day, which in biblical times, if somebody was not able to offer the Passover offering on the 14th of Nisan, they offered it exactly a month later on the 14th of EYAR. A month later, on the 14th, they had this extra opportunity to offer this offering, which creates the energy. The energy of that day is making up for lost opportunities. It's the makeup day. It's the day when nothing really is lost and you could right now rectify and accomplish what before you weren't able to do, you didn't do. Now, what people would bring the Passover offering a month later? So God is saying here, if a person is impure from a corpse during the 14th of Nisan, like these people were, or if he's on a distant road. Now, over that word, if you're looking inside, you see on the hey, the final letter, there's a dot. And Rashi explains that dot to mean, because when there's a dot on a letter, I mean, there's little, some rules in understanding dot, dotted letters and undotted letters. In this situation where we have four letters and this one is dotted, it means drop the dot, drop that letter with a dot. As if we now weaken the word, because it's missing one of the 12, four letters. So we're weakening the word to imply it means far away. He's on a road that's rechokah, far. Well, we're weakening that word far. Why are we weakening the word far? Because you didn't really have to be that far to be in the category that you could offer it on the second Passover a month later. As long as you were not in the place where the Passover offering was offered, the Paschal offering was offered in the Temple courtyard. But for the entire time when it was supposed to be offered on the 14th day of Nisan, from midday until sunset, if during that entire time you didn't step foot in the temple courtyard, you're far, meaning you could have been right outside the threshold, you are far. And therefore, you are exempt as long as you make it up a month later. Now, this second Passover is not like the first meaning you can eat the masa and own and eat the, the leaven, the chametzah, at the same time. It's not considered a holiday. The leaven is not prohibited except when he eats the sacrifice. Which some explain because since Rashi just explained that he really wasn't so far, he just didn't walk into the courtyard to offer it, so the assumption would be, well, he must have kept the holiday, so akin to how we keep the holiday now because we can't offer a sacrifice now. He sure had his matzah, so he for sure guarded himself from leaven. he kept the holiday part, he just didn't do this one slice of the sacrifice. So therefore that one slice of the sacrifice he has to make up, but all the other accompanying laws of the holiday we're assuming he, he did a month before and therefore he is not obligated to do them again, which would explain why Rashi is incorporating both of these two issues in this one Rashi. In the second month, on the 14th day in the afternoon, he shall perform it together with matzahs and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. They shall not leave any of it over until the morning. They shall not break any of its bones. According to all the statutes of the Passover offering, they shall perform it. The person was pure and was not on the road. He's pure and he was in that courtyard. But refrain from performing the Passover offering, that's socially cut off from its people. For the offering of God he did not bring in its proper time. That person shall bear his sin if a convert dwells among you and brings a Passover offering to God, according to the statutes of the Passover offering, according to its laws, so he shall perform it, there shall be the same statute for yourself, for the convert, and for the native citizen. Now on this phrase, Rashi comments, if the convert dwells among you, to explain that we might think that this is giving an imperative. When one converts, make a Passover offering. And the reason why we might think that is because this Passover offering could be viewed almost like part of the, so to speak, conversion process of the Jewish people. Meaning, when the Jews were in Egypt, there was a number of things they had to do before they left. They had to be circumcised. The Jews weren't circumcised then, besides the tribe of Levi. They had to be circumcised. They had to offer the Passover offering. So the Passover offering could have been viewed as one of the steps of conversion because in a sense the Jewish people underwent a conversion then. Oh, So here we have this convert and now he's going through the process of conversion and he has the circumcision and he goes to the the mikvah and he purifies himself he becomes a convert and now is another step in the process he has to offer this paschal lamb whenever he converts in February. No, Rashi is saying the verse is not saying This is part of the conversion process. When someone converts, they must offer it. It's not a when statement. It's an if statement. Meaning, if there's a convert among you, when everyone else offers the Passover offering, offer it as well. Not when one converts, because that could be an alternative way we would translate this phrase. When he converts, he should offer it. No, Rashi said, that's not what it means. And therefore, this verse emphasizes that there's one law There's the same law for you, for the convert, for the native-born. There's only one law. So what's the law here? That the convert, even though we might think, well, I mean, his ancestors didn't leave Egypt. No, if he's a convert, all the laws of the Jews apply to him. He is Jewish completely. And therefore, as every other Jew, on the 14th of Nisan, he will offer his Paschal sacrifice.